great song, maybe one that's new to you. It's only been around since the 1700s. So uh, maybe it's, uh, it's one you haven't heard recently, but isn't it good? Um, so we're trying something new today, or a little bit different at least, for our church family, and that is we're going to uh, have the kids stay in the service today, all right? Some of you parents just got really nervous, and, uh, and some of you kids just got really bummed. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I see that lower lip. Um, and some of you are heading for the doors. Um, uh, I, I know that this is a challenge, and sometimes these kinds of ideas just sound really good on paper and maybe don't play out as well. But we, we have a, several things that we value greatly as a church that hopefully, if you've been around for a while, you're, you're beginning to pick up on these. And one of them is that we value our kids, and we value families, and we value worship, and we value those three things together, and children not only having the opportunity to worship through study and singing and learning and hearing, but also through watching and observing and participating. And so um, we're going to start this. We'll see how it goes. But once a quarter, so every three months, or every fourth month, I guess that is, we'll, uh, our third month, sorry, we'll figure it out. Once a quarter. Um, <laughs> We'll be having our kids in here on the first Sunday of the month to participate with us in a full worship service as well as having the opportunity, if they would so desire and if you as parents would, would uh, want this, for them to be able to participate in the Lord's Supper and receive the elements of communion. This morning I had, we had a little pastor's roundtable and we talked about this with several parents uh, just about kids receiving communion. And if you're wondering if it's okay, we decided in that class that it is. Okay? So, um, it is, but it's not, you don't have to. And later on, I'm going to talk to the kids about this a little bit, but we'll be celebrating communion by having you come forward. And Pastor Aaron and I will be serving here in the front. And, and the kids will be invited to come and receive the elements if they so choose. Um, by no means do they have to. But... Here we are all together. We also, as Aaron mentioned, have our annual uh, celebration lunch and meeting today. This is a big Sunday, a, a lot of fun to, I don't, I don't know what, what your memories are of annual church meetings. If you've grown up in churches, when I became a pastor, it, not that my memory was horrible, but I just made it one of my goals that our annual meetings were going to be fun. Now, I don't know if we've succeeded in that. You can be the judge. But at least there is some um, laughter and some lightheartedness and some real rejoicing at what God has done as opposed to simply just kind of checking that off the list. So I do, whether you're a member of our church or you're a tender or it's your first day and you're just wondering what's going on around here, you're invited to stay um, uh, for a little bit of lunch and then we'll be sharing some reports and watching a slideshow together of this last church year. So we hope that you'll, uh, you'll stick around for, for that. Let's begin by reading the Bible. Can we do that? And we're going to read this passage of scripture from the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, and it's going to be up on the screen so you can follow along by looking at the screen. 
But uh, I'd love to have all of us stand together as well as I read this. And kids, this is lots of fun in, in, uh, in what do we call this, Big People Church? Um, we, at the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And when you hear that, that's an a, a indication for you to say, thanks be to God. Now, I want us just to practice, all right? We're going to practice now so we can do it, we can nail it later, okay? So here we go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, to say it before and after as well. Are you okay? You're all right. Mark, thanks be to God. Mark 8, 27 to 38, I believe, to the end of the chapter. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that, he, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can have a seat. Some of us have heard the phrase before, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Have you heard that? Or maybe you heard kind of the shortened version of that that just says, can you walk the talk? And uh, we hear people thinking about this. Um, both of these have to do with questioning whether or not somebody who says what they believe or says that they will do something actually will live in such a way that shows they believe it or can actually do what they said they could do. Um, I can say that I love my family. I can talk that talk till I'm blue in the face. But do I walk the walk? Do I spend time with my family? Do I do loving things for them? I can say that I can dunk a basketball. I can talk that talk, brother. But can I actually leap to a rim 10 feet in the air and get the ball over the top of that and dunk that ball? Well, 10 feet, not so much. Nine, maybe eight. But you know what? I read, I, this came to my mind because I read this about a pastor who made it his goal. He had been able to dunk a basketball when he was younger, and he made it his goal to be able to dunk again by the time he was 50. 
Who's in? That's six years from now for me. Can I get a trainer? Somebody help me out. I think I can, I think I can swing it. No, I can walk that walk, but I can, I mean, I can talk that talk, but I cannot walk that walk. Students, kids, teens, you can say that I'm a good student, but am I actually paying attention in class? Am I actually doing my homework? Am I actually turning in my assignments? Am I doing well on my projects and on my tests? Just for a moment, turn to somebody next to you and, and just, just share with them something that you uh, would like to do, or maybe you can do it. I'm going to let you just talk the talk for a moment and then admit at the end whether you can actually walk that walk. All right, ready? Go. Talk the talk, and then admit at the end if you can really walk the walk. Some of you can do some pretty amazing stuff in here while you're talking about it. Awesome. Well, most of us have discovered that is one thing to talk the talk, and it is another thing to walk the walk. And it's the same in our Christian lives. And I think that's what Jesus really wants us to learn from this passage today. That it's one thing to talk the talk. It's one thing to confess that He is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. But it's another thing to walk the walk. It's another thing to pick up our cross and to live out the life that Jesus invites us to. The rumors and stories about Jesus were spreading like wildfire around the region. He was an amazing teacher. He was drawing crowds. He was a miracle worker. He was, he was revealing power that hadn't been seen around these parts. He was a man of true compassion. These were all true, but they were not half the story of who Jesus was and what he had come to accomplish. And so we read again how he calls his disciples together just to check for understanding and see who they believed him to be. And I can see when he finally gets around to that point of saying, and who do you say that I am? I can just kind of imagine. Can you picture with me the disciples all, you know, standing there around Jesus and he says, you know, who do you say that I am? And they kind of look at each other and they're like, Peter, say something. <laughs> say something. And, and either the self-appointed or group-appointed spokesperson for the disciples, Peter steps up and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, this word is also translated. You are the one who has come, that God has sent to fulfill his purposes for his people, to, to renew and restore the covenant relationship that has been talked about from the beginning of our interaction between God and his people Israel. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. I mean, with just this simple sentence, he was talking 
the talk and doing it well. And yet Jesus knew, as we read there, did you notice? Jesus says, keep this to yourself. Right when he said, you're the Christ, Jesus said, that's right, keep it to yourself. And it's as if Jesus wanted to make sure that that this information didn't seep out in such a way that those who would hear it would start to put their own spin on what it meant for the Christ to have come, for the Messiah to have come. For he knew that the typical thinking of the day was that the Messiah would come in a military way, would come in a powerful kind of way, and would set all things right in a physical kind of um, political and military type of way. And Jesus knew that that was not going to be his intention. And before the word got out, he wanted to have an opportunity to shape the thinking in the people's minds of just what kind of a Christ he would be, just what kind of a Messiah he would be. And so he takes the opportunity, and I don't know if you notice this, but I think it's important to point out that he's talking to his disciples at first, but then suddenly Mark lets us know that he called not only his disciples, but the crowd as well. Jesus was never one to miss a moment, to miss an opportunity. And it's as if he sees and and understands right now that I have the chance to talk to them not only about who who I am as the Messiah, but who they are to be as well. And so he uses this phrase... And, and we, we read it there that he talks about right there in verse 34. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at it with me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he begins just in that simple sentence to talk again about what kind of a Messiah he will be. He's the kind of Messiah that will take up his own cross ultimately who will set aside the the power of this life, who will set aside the the pleasure and the the things that he would want and, and, and instead take up a cross, a symbol of suffering. And not only will Jesus do this, but he'll invite his followers. Not only will he invite, he'll call his followers to do the same thing. Now again, as soon as he says this, and a few other things, I picture the disciples standing there, and, uh, and, uh, and, and maybe this was a little bit earlier as, as well, as Jesus had been saying some things, but right as, at this point, just before, I picture the disciples standing there with Jesus as he's saying these things, and, and Peter kind of pulling Jesus aside. Again, after he said, you're the Christ, he's pull, he pulls Jesus aside, and he said, now, I, I hear you talking about this stuff about suffering, Jesus, I hear you talking about this stuff about a cross. And, and you know, it's, it's really nice. But, you, Jesus, you can't talk like this around the disciples and around the crowds. The, the Bible says that Peter rebuked Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know what that rebuke maybe looked like, if he was reprimanding Jesus, you know, come on, you can't do that. I just kind of think it was this conversation. Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, we have this thing, and you were supposed to kind of do it like this, and now you're talking like this. You can't do that. These people are all going to stop listening to you if you keep talking like that. But we hear Jesus in the same moment rebuke Peter and the other disciples with what words? Get behind me, Satan. And it's not, some scholars differ on this, it's not necessarily that He's calling Peter Satan, 
but he is calling the kind of thinking that Peter was representing in that moment, this thinking that was of human thinking and not of divine. He was speaking of that as satanic because this was the same kind of language that Jesus had recently heard when he was in the wilderness where the devil himself offered him the easy path forward and Jesus refused to take it. Get thee behind me. The cross, deny ourselves, take up the cross. This is for everyone. The cross was this really horrible instrument that was used to, to kill folks, usually sa saved for slaves and revolutionaries. And it was so bad that it was used to, to hopefully keep people from rising up against the Romans. I mean, the, the government, the authorities hoped that when people saw people hanging on the cross, hanging on a cross, that they would just see how horrible it was that they would never want to do anything that would step across the bounds and, and, and challenge the, the government. And this is what Jesus is inviting his followers uh, to follow. These are some of the most challenging words in Mark. And what strikes me is that Jesus doesn't say, um, those of you who are especially uh, committed, those of you who are the elite Christians, those of you who are, you know, the good ones, this is for you. And the rest of you, you average, normal, run-of-the-mill Christian people, eh, you can just kind of forget about this one. No. It's, this is for everyone. We're to take up our cross and follow him. There are not levels of discipleship. There's not an inner circle and an outer. Discipleship calls for the total commitment of the entire person to Jesus and to his message. Kids, Teens, adults, I hope you'll remember this. There, for Jesus and for the Bible, there is no half discipleship. There is no half a Christian. There is no kinda. Now, in our day, I know that we like, we're, we're a people and we're a culture that likes to keep our options open. I, I don't know if this has always been the case, but would you be willing to just confess publicly, yes, I like to keep my options open. Anybody? Would you do that? Okay, some of you. Some of you are holding out on me, and that's okay. But we like to keep our options open. We, we don't like to necessarily commit. Easter's still two weeks away. Lots could happen between now and then as to whether or not I'll be able to make it to that Monday Thursday service. I mean, you know, stuff might come up. I can't, I can't make that kind of commitment quite quite yet. All sorts of things. We, we do this. I mean, we send emails or we get them and they are at the top and then they start to fall lower. Is this just my email inbox or is this everybody? Okay, they start to fall a little bit lower and lower and it's like, I want to respond but I just, I don't know yet because I might have some other things going on and, and we, we just, we like to keep our options open. Am I speaking to anybody here today? And I'm afraid that this same type of thinking, this same type of tendency, and kids, you are being raised in this culture. You are being 
you, you know, most of you know nothing other than the fact that I keep my options open to the last minute, as opposed to saying, I'm in from the very beginning. But I, I fear that this potentially can, again, cross over into our Christian lives, where ah, I, I really do want to follow God. I really do want to give Him all of my life and allow Him to have full control and, and full sway in my life. But something might come up between now and next week. Something might come up in my life that I really want to attend to. And if I say a full yes to Jesus now, then that might not allow me to do that thing that might come up, that I don't even know what it is necessarily, but it might come up. Well, Jesus' instruction, his command in this is to uh, fully participate in the mission and in the person of Jesus. And to do that, hear me, you, we cannot enter into this mission and person of Jesus, this full relationship with him, coming in with our limits kind of already being set or, or holding out on certain options or possibilities. We can't come into this. Jesus won't allow it to come into this, um, again, with, with, with a boundary already established of just how far we'll go. We'll go. To pick up our cross is to follow Jesus, to, to, to follow the demands of the discipleship that he invites us to and to commit ourselves wholly, all of us, to this journey that Jesus invites us to. Now, Jesus goes on in, in Mark to kind of flesh this out in a couple of ways. And one of the things that he does is he invites the children to, to come to him. So though I am far from Jesus, I want to invite all the children to come to me even right now. Can you come on up here, kids? Come on up. Come on up. Wilson, I'm going to borrow your stool for a moment. Kids, come on up here. Just gather. Have a seat. Have a seat on the, on the stage here. Have a seat on the stage. And uh, yeah, come on up. Come on up. So I want us to look at a, a verse of scripture because he goes on in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus does too. Anybody else? Anybody else want to pretend you're a kid? Okay. And uh, he goes on, Jesus goes on in, this, in the Bible to talk about more about what it actually looks like to, to be a disciple, what it actually looks like to pick up your cross. I, this is a hard thing to understand. It's a hard thing to picture. And if you don't completely understand it, you're not alone. We know it's hard. We know it's not always easy. We know that Jesus asks us not just to kind of, you know, always kind of have fun with him, but to actually, you know, things that are maybe sometimes difficult that we have to come across when we follow him. But Jesus invites us to do that. But he shows us some examples about what it means to really be a disciple of his. And one of them is this great story. It's right in the Gospel of Mark, and I think it's chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. So let me read it for you. Maybe I'll have um, you guys read some of this with me. So follow along, you guys who can read, all right? I'll read it for us to begin with, though. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. All right, let's read this whole screen together, can we? When Jesus saw this, he was, well, it's a big word, indignant. He said to them, 
Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I probably need to tell you that indignant means he was not happy. He was not pleased with the behavior. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Just listen to me say it. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Amen. Um, so I'm going to give you your card this morning, and it has a great picture. It looks like this. It has a great picture of Jesus holding the kids and blessing them, touching them, and just, just blessing them. And wanting to bless somebody means that you just want God's very best for them. So that's what he was doing for them. But you know what Jesus was doing here? is he was, just, he was just opening up the door for the kids to come to him. And I love this. And it made me think of this statue that I have in my house. Um, this is a statue. Some of you maybe remember this. This is a statue that I got when I was ordained, when I became like an official pastor in the church. I got this statue. They gave it to me as a gift. And it was beautiful. This is Jesus. Shake his hand right there. Say, hey, Jesus, what's up? And this is Peter, and he's calling, this is Peter when he was a fisherman, and Jesus is calling Peter to leave his nets and to come and follow him. You guys, some of you remember that story, right? And, uh, and so this is kind of what they think happens, you know, with pastors in a sense. Jesus calls us and says, come and follow and leave whatever you were doing and, and come be a pastor and come follow me. And I just, I, I got this um, statue, I guess it's a statue, right? And I put it on my mantle, right above my fireplace. And I was like, looking at it every day, I'm thinking, that's cool. It is cool. There's a life-size one of these, by the way, down at Point Loma. If you ever go down to Point Loma, you can actually stand right next to Jesus. Shake his hand. It's fun. Um, but I, I had that, and then I, I moved it, and I just put it into my office and, and kind of forgot about it a little bit. But then... I went into my office one time, and I honestly don't know what happened, so I'm not accusing anybody. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, it might have been some of you. You might have come into my office and were walking by the bookcase and dropped it or hit it or something, and there's this nice little white chunk, or this chunk that was kind of taken out of the statue. And I looked at it. You know what my first thought was? Who broke my statue? <laughs> I was so bummed. I was like, I've got this beautiful statue of Jesus. And now it's all messed up. And it doesn't look good. And how can I fix it? Can I paint it? And oh, it's just ruined forever. I should have left it up on the mantle above the fireplace where no one could touch it. No one could break it. And you know, as I thought about this story, I thought about this passage, I was being just like the disciples. I was saying, you know, keep Jesus away from people. Keep Jesus away from the kids. They might get him dirty. They might mess him up. They might drool on him. I don't know. They might, they might do something weird to him. They might pull his hair. I don't know what he might, what, what they might do. Let's keep him away. And Jesus says, no, get out of their way. 
let those kids come to me. Now, this teaches us a couple of things. First of all, I need you guys to know that you have a special place in Jesus' heart. I used to. They all used to. Not anymore. You have taken our places. You have a special place in Jesus' heart. And you know what? We're happy about that. We are happy about that. And we want to be the very opposite of the disciples who say, you know, keep the kids away. We want to say, bring the kids like crazy to Jesus. Because we know that you have a special place in his heart. And so we want to make sure everything that we do as a church and in our families, we want to do everything, everything that we can to make sure that you know how much Jesus loves you and that you have an opportunity to tell him and share with him your love for him as well. Okay? So that's the first lesson. The second lesson, though, is this. Jesus says that unless we have faith, us big people, unless we have faith like you guys as kids, we can't even enter the kingdom of God. Now, this baffles me somewhat, but I think I know what Jesus was getting at. We need you guys to teach us what it is to have faith in Jesus. As much as we want to teach you and show you and help model for you what it is to be a Christian, we need you guys to teach us what it means to have enthusiasm and joy and life and excitement and faith and trust and utter dependence on God. Because when we see you kids doing just that, that you just have a knack for doing so well, we learn and we're reminded that we need to have the same kind of trust, the same kind of dependence, the same kind of excitement as we follow Jesus as well. Okay? So know how special you are in Jesus' heart and don't forget to teach us a little bit from time to time about how we need to follow Jesus as well. Guys, today we're going to have communion at the end. I've got one more quick thing to say to, to all of us before we have communion, but Today we're going to have communion at the end, and I talked to you about this a little bit at the beginning. And you're going to have to ask your parents or your, whoever you're here with if that's okay. But if it is, then I just want you to know that you don't need to be uh, afraid. You don't need to be scared about that. I've talked to most of you about this. Your Sunday school teacher has. But, but Pastor Aaron and I will be up here at the front, and we'll hand you the tray that has the little piece of bread in it first. And we'll say this is the body of Christ. And it, it represents Jesus' body when he died on the cross. His body was broken for us. And then we'll give you the tray that has the cup in it, and you can take the little cup and just take the cup and drink the juice. We'll say this is the, the, the symbol of Christ's blood that was shed for you. And that reminds us that Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was shed as well, that we might be forgiven of our sins. So when we take and eat and drink, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did for us, and we're also just thinking about the fact that Jesus is even here with us right now, helping us and given us strength. And that's not anything that any of us completely understand, but we celebrate the fact that we believe it's true. So I'm looking forward to uh, having many of you participate with us in the Lord's Supper later on in just a few minutes. All right, let me give you your card, and you can go back to your seat as soon as you get it. You have to come get it from me.
Go ahead and stand up if you want to. Once you get your card, head back to your seat. Once you get your card, head back to your seat. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Be careful with your card. This is Jesus and the children. This is a very special card. Very special card. You have a very special place in Jesus' heart. Thank you. You sure can. You sure can. Well, one more story that Jesus shares, and there's way too much here to go too deeply into it. But uh, Jesus is, again, kind of fleshing out, out in very human um, examples what it means to follow him, what it means to carry our cross. And again, one of those that I've just shared is to, is to come at him with the faith of a child, is to come at him in this, in this beautiful way, um, receiving this simple faith, this, this uh, trust to receive what God has for us as, as a child would. What a beautiful thought. The, the next example is the rich young man, and many of you know this story, but if not, I just want to read a portion of it because this, again, just focuses the issue so uh, tightly and so clearly. This is Mark 10, verses 17 to uh, 27, I think. Yes. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. This is right after Mark's reporting this story, right after he reported the story with the kids. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mm. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Period, in a sense. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. Read that last sentence with me, would you? All things are possible with God. Half of a sentence, anyway. This story is about money, but not really. <laughs> this, this story is like under the microscope of Jesus saying, again, what it looks like to be a true disciple of his. Uh, I read an article this week about discipleship, about becoming disciples, about what that looks like. And not long ago, there was a, every few years, there's uh, studies done by Gallup or other research companies, and, and they poll essentially 
people's religious affiliation. And they pull either their, uh, you know, their denomination, if they're Protestant, or their other religion, if they're that. But there's another category that they have on these surveys at the very bottom. And maybe some of you have taken surveys like this, but the, the, the category is none. Now, this is not for the ladies who run around with the habits. It's not the N-U-N, none. It's, it's uh, I don't know how many there would be of them, but it's not as many as the N-O-N-E, none. So, so they do these research every once in a while, and again, there's religious affiliation, and the last one is none. I have no religious affiliation. And what researchers have discovered in the last 10 years or so that, that steadily and surely the number of nuns in the United States is on the rise. And that's not just, you know, people getting old enough to take the survey now and checking their nun, although that's of great concern as well. This is folks who have been religiously affiliated who are no longer considering themselves to be such. And now, as opposed to being Nazarene or Catholic or Baptist or whatever, they are a nun. And this article I read was talking about how do we, how do we keep the nominals from becoming the nuns? You know what a nominal is? A nominal Christian is a Christian in Name only. Somebody who says, yes, you are the Christ, as Peter did. And yet when it comes time to follow Jesus' instructions to pick up our cross, to receive the kingdom as little children, to, to make our choice between what we have and what we want and what God has and what God wants, uh, that's going a little too far. We're nominal. We're in name only. And what we're finding and what researchers are finding is that more and more of these folks who are nominal are just one day deciding, what's the point? I'm really a nun when it comes down to it, so let me just check that box. And with that box being checked, another one, at least for now, is lost to the kingdom. So the question was, how do we keep the nominals. I mean, much less, how do we get those who are in the nuns to come on over to the faith? But how do we keep those who are nominally committed, in name only to Jesus, how do we keep them from slipping into the nuns? And one of the responses that I just tapped into, I think because I was reading this passage for the week, was simply, um, we got to throw the kitchen sink at them. And by that, I mean we, we have to, as a church, stop giving the soft sell. We have to, as a church, stop saying it's okay, essentially, to be a nominal Christian. We're just glad you're checking that box. And instead, we need to keep reading verses like these that say, pick up your cross daily and follow me. 
receive the kingdom like a little child or you have no part in it. Make your choice now what you have and what you want or what God has and what God wants. And the thinking is that, and there's always a potential that some may be pushed away as the rich young ruler was. Did you notice? But the greater hope is that when we catch a vision of all that it is that really God has for us and what it really means to live in relationship with him and not just kind of go through, not even really go through the motions, but if that, we do that. But to live fully this life of discipleship, then we will not even think about moving from name only to the none. Friends, as I read the scripture today, and as I thought about the life of Jesus, he had this down. I mean, I don't know how he did it. He was able just to kind of weave this grace and this truth. And I'm afraid I'm not Jesus. And so some days it may be grace, and some days it may be truth. And today is truth. All right? Today is truth. We're walking this journey to Easter with Jesus. He was not messing around. Kids, not messing around. Teens, wasn't messing around. Adults, there's a real clear sense of the message that Jesus is giving to us in this passage. And my prayer and my hope that any of us who may be nominal at this point would be so challenged and so, so just triggered by this invitation that life would begin to spring anew. And as some of us maybe have even slipped over into the nuns, that this might begin to paint a picture in our hearts and in our minds of what full life with Jesus might be like. Making disciples in the nations. That's our mission. That's our desire. And it begins right here. Well, the Lord's Supper is that meal that we celebrate in which... Uh, Again, this is a very serious moment, but it's not necessarily a somber moment. It is a meal that we receive and we celebrate uh, in, in remembering what it is that God has done for us through Jesus. And it's in the eating and the drinking of this, the, this meal that we can take very seriously what Jesus did for us, and we can very seriously respond to him as well. So I would invite you, as we receive the elements today, whatever your age and however many times you have done this before, that you would freshly receive the grace of God and that you would freshly respond to him and to his invitation for full commitment of your heart and life today. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you so much for uh, your word and for the grace and the truth that is found there. God, the reality is, is that you know each of our hearts and you know exactly where we are on our journey of faith with you. And you're walking with us at each step. And I just believe, God, that today perhaps there were some that needed to hear this message from Jesus, this, this very clear truth of his desire that we not only talk the talk, but that we walk the walk. And there have been some here who have been talking the talk of faith for a long time or maybe just even a short time, but the talk has been good, but the walk has not been there. It hasn't been maybe what it could be. 
what it can be, what you would hope for it to be, how you would help it to be in our lives. And so today, oh God, as we come to this moment, I pray that you would stir each heart and you would help us to respond, that our lives would, again, not only um, proclaim Christ with our mouths, but, but that we would live Christ with our hands and with our feet and with everything that we do and everything that we say. We're thankful that you gave us this meal, oh God. We're thankful that you gave us your son and that you, he gave us this meal that we might remember him and that we might celebrate his presence with us. And so we do remember that it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus met with his disciples and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he passed it to them and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat. And then in the same way, he took that cup and he blessed it and he passed it to them and he said, this is the cup of salvation. It's the symbol of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take of it and drink and as you do, remember me. And so we ask you now, oh God, to bless these elements, this bread and juice and as we eat and as we drink, may we not only remember, but may we receive your presence and your strength and your encouragement as we seek to live lives that are a beautiful response to your outpouring of love and your grace in our hearts. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.